This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. How many of you grew up with the parents that counted? If you don't do this, when I count to three, one, two, two and a quarter, two and a half, right? Three. I grew up with a dad, and he counted, and he made it to three one time because I tested him. I said, what happens if you really make it to three? So I said, I'm going to let it go to three. He made it to three, and he got out his belt, and it changed my life forever, all right, in that moment. Listen, it is summer, and we had last week the last day of school, which means for parents, the first day of wondering what the heck do we do with our kids, right, all summer long. And I don't know about you guys, but we go through this whole thing of, all right, it's summer now, we're laying down rules, we're kind of setting some boundaries on on what they can and cannot do, and uh, we're in this series called Arrow, so today I'm dedicating it to a talk on discipline. Now, I know this is not going to be a very popular kind of topic. Um, What do we do, though, with these little arrows when they get out of line in this quiver, right? And today, in fact, the title to our message is going to be, if you want to write this down, correction in the quiver. Write that down. Correction in the quiver. I was at a restaurant not that long ago. And I saw this family out there. They were just, like, the kids were going crazy. And it wasn't my family. It usually is, right? But this time it wasn't. And they were all, the parents were like, sit down, sit down, sit down. If I have to tell you to sit down again, you know, I'm coming over there. Sit down, sit down. He said, sit down to this child, like, over and over and over. He's like, I'm not going to ever make you sit down. I'm not going to do anything to make you sit down. But I'm just going to tell you to sit down over and over and over. And they were giving these, like, empty threats time and time again. And the reality is here in America, you see that a lot. People not really disciplining their children. And it is, again, a touchy subject. And when Kristen and I had one kid, discipline was easy. Because we were going like straight two-on-one defense, no problem with one kid. Two kids, it was like, all right, a little more difficult, but it was man-to-man. We were playing some man-to-man coverage. Then three kids or more, It's all zone defense, right? It's like, Kristen, you get this half, and I'll get this half, and we're going to do our best to maintain some sort of sanity. But I think we should kick this off today with a working definition of discipline. Now, real quick, this is going to be really for everyone. I know not everyone's a parent, and maybe you're out of some of this this phase phase of discipline, but you know families, you know uh, people with little ones. And even if you're a business leader, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today really applies to discipline in teams and with, with employees and all that kind of thing. But so here's a working definition for you of discipline. Discipline is correction driven by love. Write that down. It's correction, but it's always driven by this heart to love. 
Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 says this. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not give up when he corrects you. Why? Because the Lord's discipline, the Lord disciplines those that he loves. Is correction always driven by love? And I would say it's, it's, it's incredibly important. Proverbs 19, 18 says this. This is how important it is. Discipline your child for in that there's hope. In your discipline, there's hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. I want you to underline that verse. Just jot it down. We're going to come back to it at the end. It says, do not be a willing party to their death. Parents, don't be fooled. There is a battle going on inside of our homes for who is in control, who is going to be in charge. And many of us, we're losing that battle. And if all you do is find yourself constantly nagging, saying, stop it, don't do this, or counting one, two, three, or, or these threats or empty threats, then the reality is, is we're losing this battle of discipline. And a lot of the pushback that I'll hear about discipline, parents will say, well, I just don't want to be mean. I want my kids to like me. I want to be their friends. And discipline is mean. Well, we have to shift the way we think about discipline. In fact, write this down. Discipline is never something you do to your children. It's always something you do for them. Again, it's, it's correction out of, of love. It's something you are doing for them. Zig Ziglar, uh, he said this. He said that if you do not discipline your little ones with love in their little world, like within their family, within their home, then once they get out of your little world, the great big world will discipline them without love. Discipline is correction that's always driven by love. But here's the deal. It takes discipline in order to discipline. Discipline takes discipline. You're like, Colby, what are you talking about? You lost me there. Discipline takes discipline. Before we can even begin to approach how we correct in our own quivers, you know, with our own children, we have to make sure as parents that we are disciplined parents because I've seen a lot of undisciplined parents, me included. And I want to give you three different kinds of undisciplined parent and see if maybe you can uh, resonate with any of these kinds. The first one, before we put the picture up here, let me just quick disclaimer. Ladies, you might want to overt your eyes. You might want to duck. You might want to cover your eyes because I don't want any of you to stumble in church this morning, all right? Because the first undisciplined type of parent is the lifeguard parent. You didn't listen to me, did you? Some of you ladies, right now, you're having impure thoughts run through your mind over the Hoff, the David Hasselhoff. You know what a lifeguard parent is? A lifeguard parent is one that often rescues their little one from their consequences of daily life. That's always kind of swooping in. A lifeguard parent is the super mom that says, oh, little Aiden. Like, you're in trouble. Buddy, I'll come to your rescue. Let me help you out. And I'm just throwing a name out there. I just picked Aiden. All right, I'm sorry if you have an Aiden. I'm not specifically talking about your Aiden. But that's what a lifeguard parent does, rescues them from the consequences of daily life. Now, not from some of the big things, right? Like, we want to rescue our, our little ones, but it's when we rescue them constantly from, from their consequences. And you might say, well, how do I know if I'm a lifeguard parent? Here's how you know. If little Aiden, you know, if you had to deliver little Aiden's, Aiden's lunch to him, you know, a half a dozen times to school over the last year because he forgot, you're probably a lifeguard 
parent. Oh, don't worry, buddy, I'm gonna come take care of it. If, if your little Aiden is a sophomore in college and you delivered him food, you're the worst kind of lifeguard parent there is, right? Shame on you for doing that. Like a lifeguard parent is one that swoops in to rescue them, to save them from the consequences of their actions. You say, Colby, why is that such a big deal? Here's why right here. Galatians 6, 7 says this. Do not be deceived. See, God established this kind of economy. Do not be deceived. God's not going to be mocked because why? A man reaps what he sows. God established this, this divine economy of cause and effect of, you know, you sow this, and this is what you reap. And we understand this as adults or those in the workplace. Like, you get this. If you show up late to work repeatedly, you know, you, you're, you, you could be in jeopardy of losing your job. If you, you know, don't turn in the report on time, if you don't do these, these things, you could get, you know, you, you could lose your job. The same is true with God's economy. If we live by his word, and according to his principles, like, and it's not just negative consequences, but we could re- reap rewards of that. We could be blessed because of that. But on the other hand, if we choose not to, right, then we are going to experience the consequences of that. A man reaps what he sows. Now, admittedly, when it comes to our little ones, this is tough. Like, it's hard because as parents, we want to be there for them. As parents, we want to rescue them from from any little thing but many times when we think we're helping them the reality is we're actually hurting them and we're not setting them up for success but we set our little ones up for success in life and also success in Christ when we allow them to face and experience some of their consequences for example say little Aiden let's pick on Aiden all day all right say little Aiden didn't do a science project and instead mom or dad you decide I'm not sweeping in I'm not going to come in, and I'm going to go rescue you, and I'm not going to finish this science project for you this time. What you've done is you've taught Aiden that unless he prepares in advance, right, he's less likely to succeed. Or say, you know, you give little, I'll use one of my kids. Let's just be, make it fair. Park. Say, Park, you know, here's your lunch money for school. But instead, Park takes his lunch money, and he buys Pokemon cards, because that is what Park would do right now. He'd buy Pokemon cards, and I have no idea why, but he buys Pokemon cards instead of me saying, oh, well, you got to eat lunch. You know, here's, here, I'm going to come to the school, and I'll give you some money. I say, ah, you bought Pokemon cards. You ain't eating lunch today, right? Cause and effect. A man reaps what he sows. How about this one? This is going to make a lot of parents mad, maybe even a lot of teens mad. Say your 16-year-old wants a car, and you say, all right. You want a car? Here's a good idea. Why don't you get a job? Let's start there. You get a job, you want to pay for that car, then that's, that's fine, right? A lifeguard parent just, you know, sweep in, get you the car, five, seven thousand, ten thousand dollar car. You know, here you go, ah, uh-huh. you want a job, you're going to have to, or a car, you're going to have to work for it. I want the latest iPhone, I want the latest smartphone. That's fine, but you got to earn some money, right? Cause and effect. Man reaps what he sows, and then you can pay for that phone. And by the way, if you're doing stuff on that phone I don't like, I'm going to take that phone from you, right? You better have a good attitude. We reap what we sow. And this applies for everything in life. You know, even if you have little ones, your little one comes up to you, Mom, Dad, you know, can we get a cute little kitten? The best thing to do is to instruct them that what looks like a cute little kitten today really turns into a demon-possessed animal tomorrow. (laughs) 
And you don't want that running around your house, right? Cause and effect. Lifeguards swoop in to rescue. How many of you would be honest this morning and say, I have a tendency to do that. I have a tendency to rescue. I have a tendency to swoop in. Anybody, anybody? All right, all right, well, that's cool, that's cool. You say, Colby, how do you know so much about this? Because it's me. Man, I do this. I'm terrible with following through on, on some things. I wanna rescue my, my little ones, but I understood that if all I ever do is bail them out, ultimately, I'm not helping them. That's a lifeguard parent. Another undisciplined kind of parent is this one right here. How many of you know what this is? Yeah, it's an extra sketch, right? Or if you're from West Virginia, you call this a computer, all right? But this is, what you do on this thing is you take these little knobs. I'm sorry, anybody from West Virginia? I'm sorry. You take these little knobs and you turn these knobs. One, you know, makes a line horizontal. The other one makes a vertical line. And you can do all kinds of awesome stuff like make stair steps with Etch-a-Sketches or boxes or rectangles or, you know, just all kinds of cool lines and stuff. Or if you really get technical, you can do them at the same time, make a little vertical kind of wavy line thing. But in Etch-a-Sketch, parents, see, when you make that line and you make that design, what happens when you shake it up? It disappears. And an Etch-a-Sketch, parents, is, is a parent that establishes boundaries, that makes lines one day, but the next day shakes it all up and they're gone. They disappear. In fact, write this down if you want to. Etch-a-Sketch parents are constantly changing the boundaries, constantly moving the rules from this line to this line. In other words, they're consistently inconsistent. And our kids are going, wait, 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 wait a second. Where's the line? Like yesterday, the line was here, and it was okay for me to do this, but now you're telling me the line's back here, and I can't, you know, I can't do that anymore. Where is the line? And it brings confusion to our kids. Proverbs 29, 15 says this, to discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. Verse 17, discipline your children and they will give you peace of mind and will make your heart glad. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say discipline them today on this thing, but not tomorrow. H have the line here one day, but then the next day, you know, let, let's shift it over and let's discipline them for, for, for something else. Move that, move that line. And the truth is, I believe most of our little ones want to know where the line is. In fact, I know for my kids, they operate best when they understand the clear boundaries that they have to operate in. But if we're constantly moving that line from one place to the next, then they don't, they don't really know what, what the, the boundary is. And admittedly, for me, this is hard because it's hard to be consistent 100% of the time. Like things, things change. And maybe what, what made sense in one season with your kids, with their boundaries and their lines, doesn't make sense in the next season. What makes sense for one kid, you know, maybe doesn't make sense for another kid who operates differently. And, and just being honest, for me, like I'm inconsistent because many times I just get tired. And so one day I'm, I'm all fired up and I'm got energized and I can deal with that issue or whatever it was. The next day I'm like, ah, oh, whatever, just forget about it, right? And it's just being lazy, honestly, and it's being... Being, being tired and not being consistent in our discipline. And my problem for me is one day, you know, I can be like, uh, I can be like Nazi dad. Like, you know, everybody get in line. Say, there will be no fun here, you know, and just kind of whatever. 
And the next day, I'm like, cruise directorship kind of dad. You know, is the love boat, you know, and everything goes, it doesn't really matter. But it's dangerous if that's how you discipline, if that's how you parent. And Etch-A-Sketch parent constantly moves that line. And inconsistency can be very, very dangerous. In fact, write this down. Um, Consistency and clarity kills confusion and creates confidence. I know that's a lot of alliteration going on right there. But consistency and clarity kills confusion and creates confidence. And ultimately, that's what you want. I mean, you want to bring up these, these awesome little arrows, these world changers that are full of, of confidence. Let's deal with one more type of undisciplined parent and see if you find yourself in this. This one will cause a lot of stress and tension in the home, and that is the house divided parents. Now, this is probably not anybody's home that, that's, that's in this room. I don't know. Maybe it is, you know, or not. But a house divided, what that means is that the parents are always having the split decision on how to discipline. Like one parent says one thing, and the other parent says another thing. And the key component of a house divided kind of parent is this. Write it down. It's parents who openly disagree on how to discipline. And the key right here is openly openly, because you will disagree on what to do and some of the consequences, you know, of of someone's action, but it's those that openly do it, that don't have this united front in the home. Amos 3.3 says this, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? The answer is no, they can't. And one of the most important things for you as a parent to do is to always have a unified stance with your children. Now, I want to talk about this for a moment because the reality is, is this gets complicated. And in the world that we live in today, in fact, the family dynamic has changed over the last, you know, 20, 25 years, like dramatically. Like now you're, you have families that are just on their second, third, maybe even fourth marriage. You have families with, with your kids coming together with, with my kids, and you have single moms and, and single, single dads. And so it makes it more and more difficult to try to navigate what correction in the quiver looks like, right? Because there's many different quivers that you're all trying to bring together. And it adds just another level of complication to it. The first one, let's talk about the single parents. Maybe you're a single mom or you're a single dad, and you don't even like you know, your, you can't stand your baby mama. You can't stand your baby daddy, you know, whatever it is. And so what happens a lot of times is the kids know that. And the kids will start to play one parent against the other. And maybe this has happened to you. And so what they'll say is, well, if I was with mom, she would let me do X, Y, Z. Because mom loves me. And mom wants me to be happy. Or over at dad's house, you know, right, he, he would buy that for me because dad loves me more. And all, oftentimes we see is the kids playing the, the parents, putting them against each other. And I would say if that's your circumstance, if that's your situation, you know, I understand that. But please, for the sake of your little ones, do the best you can to have a unified stance when it comes to discipline. Be consistent with it. Or if you have a, a, a blended family, again, very, very complicated. And what you'll hear sometimes uh, is people say, well, these are, these are my kids, and those are your kids. I'll take care of disciplining my kids, 
and you take care of disciplining your kids. And the reality is, if you've decided to say, you know, I do, and you are now husband and wife, like before God, you've decided the two will become one flesh, there is no mine and yours anymore. It's all ours. And so you need to have this this unified front with your little ones. You got to have it. And again, you're not going to agree, especially in a, in a dynamic like that where it's a blended family and you're, you're coming together. You might not agree on how to discipline, but you do that behind closed doors. And in front of your children, you have this unified front in how you're going to discipline. How many of you would say, that's me? We can be a house divided. Anybody want to admit that? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, now that we've kind of beat up the parents a little bit, Let's shift gears. Let's talk about some expectations when it comes to discipline. And I do pray that God would, would remind you, would remind me, because I'm, I'm preaching to me when I can be a lifeguard parent, when I can be an etch-a-sketch parent and I change my mind or change the action, or, or if, if Krista and I are divided in what the, the, the discipline should look like. I pray that God reminds you of that. But let's talk about some expectations when it comes to discipline. So we beat up on the parents, kids, Now we're going to beat up on you a little bit. Not much, just a little bit. The first is this. We expect quick and cooperative obedience. Amen. Quick and cooperative. Or we we would say it this way. um, Zippy, not lippy. All right? Like, do it quick and be kind about it. I don't want to hear about it. You know, don't give me all the reasons why you can't over and over and over. No, no. Quick and cooperative. Colossians 3.20 says this. Children always, say this word, children, always, all the teens and below say this word, children, you're not a teen, I hear some adult voices in there, unless you're just at puberty or something, children, (laughs) always, always, not children, obey your parents when they've called your name 15 times, not after they've threatened you within an inch of your life. Not when they've counted to three. You know, not when when they've said this over and over. It says, children, always obey your parents. Why? Because it pleases God. Like, God likes it. Like, these things will go good for you when you obey your parents. Again, we expect quick and cooperative obedience. And the reason why is because God expects that of us, honestly. God wants you and I to have this quick, cooperative kind of obedience. And what I've learned is that delayed obedience is just disobedience in disguise. That's all it is. So if you tell a kid, hey, hey, you got to go clean your room. And then you just leave it there. And you come back and they haven't cleaned their room. It's like, why didn't you clean your room? Well, I was getting around to it. Just haven't done it yet. This is what I'm not going to do. You know, I'm going to clean my room tonight or tomorrow, whatever it is. No, no. Quick, cooperative obedience. And again, on the parents' side of that, you have to be clear on the expectation. It's not just go clean your room. It's, hey, by 2 o'clock today, I don't care whatever else you do, but by that time today, your room needs to be clean. So they know the expectations of it. And we're not just looking for this outward kind of obedience, this outward action, but we expect the inward obedience as well. This is the, the lippy part. This is the cooperative Part of it. Philippians 2.14 says this, do everything without complaining or arguing. Parents, 
If there was some scripture you need to memorize ever, if there was a verse that needed to be put on your fridge in your home, is this one right here. Do everything without complaining or without arguing. Why? Here's what I heard a guy say. You discipline more for attitude than for action. It's not just about getting them to do something. It's about the heart behind it. Like, I care more about who my kids are becoming inside than I care about what they, they do. Yes, I care about their actions, right? But I also care about who they're becoming. And how you respond internally really is reflected in your behavior externally. So here's what happens. Dad comes home from work or mom comes home from work, whatever it is, and says, hey, your son was talking back to me. And so dad addresses him, pulls him aside, says, Aiden, come here. Let's beat up on Aiden again. Aiden, come here. Like, you can't talk back to your mother. And Aiden says, I wasn't talking back to mom. And dad's like, well, your mom said you were talking back to her. No, I wasn't. I wasn't talking back to mom. Hey, you're talking back to me right now. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Get to your room. And so Aiden goes upstairs, stomps, slams the door shut. Dad goes, hmm, well, I showed Aiden what's up. No, you didn't, Dad. See, you got a response. You got an external behavior. Outwardly, he responded, but inwardly, there's still rebellion in Aiden, isn't there? And again, we correct more for, for attitude than we do for the action. We want it to be quick. We want it to be cooperative, zippy, not lippy, happy, and snappy, whatever you want to say. And then we also, um, number two is this, write this down, never discipline in anger. So this is more, again, for an expectation for the parents. And I say this because this happens all the time. In fact, it happens too much in our world. The parents will fly off the handle and in anger, in a moment, you know, discipline their little ones. Ephesians 4.26 says this, don't sin by letting your anger control you. Whenever we discipline our little ones, it's never out of, out of anger. Again, discipline is correction out of love. Love is the goal, not anger. So if you're angry in the moment, you need to take a step back as a parent. And honestly, for me, the one place that I can start to lose it easily is like in the car while I'm driving. Like I got four little boys and you wouldn't think that four boys, men, would be so squealy in a car. <laughs> like there are times I'm like, I'm going to pull this thing over. It just gets crazy, right? And now I understand what we put our parents through because I, I grew up the middle of three boys and my parents, we took, we took a road trip one time from Little Rock, Arkansas, drove in a suburban from Little Rock, Arkansas to Mexico City, Mexico. In 1982 or four or whatever it was, I don't know. It was before DVD players, that's all I know. Before DVDs, before iPads, before any kind of video games. You know, we had VHS tapes, but the suburban didn't like take VSH, VHS kind of tapes. And you, those of you that don't know what that is, you can Google that, ask your mom, whatever. But we took a trip, 22 and a half hours, one way, one way in a suburban with me and my, my two brothers, and we could go at it. Like, we were fighting constantly. We were like, this is my line. This is an invisible line. Don't you dare cross my line. Don't you dare breathe on my line. You know, whatever you do, right? And so we just drove, my, my parents call that trip, that was the, the, the suburban trip from hell is what that was, all right? 
And so I understand that now. In fact, we were on a trip to Ohio. We went to look at some hot air balloon thing at some winery. Um, just we wanted our kids to see a hot air balloon. So we were going over there. This was a few years ago. And uh, something happened, and I just got, I got angry. I mean, I got so mad. And I was just, like, whipping the car around. And I was, like, driving fast, hitting the brakes. You know, so my kids were, like, banging their heads on the seats. I was, just, I was just so mad. And it was dead silent in the car. And Kristen was so fired up at me, but she, she didn't say a word. Finally, one of the little boys in the back broke the silence, and they said, Daddy, you need to pull this car over right now, and Mommy needs to give you a hard spanking. Unfortunately, you know, in her anger, she did not spank me. She spanked me later on. That's another message. <laughs> another time, another message, all right? But let's talk about spanking. Actually, that was my segue to spanking. Let's talk about spanking, all right? Because this is an unpopular topic. Spanking really is the politically incorrect thing to do. And I can already sense right now I got some emails that are coming into my inbox, all right? I'm going to talk about spanking. I know it's the incorrect thing politically to do. I stand by the fact that it's biblically correct to do. Not in all situations, not for all ages. There are other kinds of of very effective discipline. But in our house, just straight up, man, when they were little, we spanked. Pull, Pull their pants down. No, I'm just kidding. We didn't do that. But we spanked. We did. And in fact, I learned, you know, later on, you don't, you don't ever use your hand. You know, you can use, use a, a, a wooden spoon. I, I think our, my um, sister-in-law, she calls it the spanky spoon. You can buy things online. There's a, a thing called rod online that you can get. I don't know, that sounds kind of creepy, but, <laughs> but we spanked. And I know, again, it's not the politically correct thing, you know, but, but we believed it was an effective way for us. And we would never, by the way, like, I don't know when the last time was, you know, that I spanked one of my kids, but it was when they were little, and we would take them away to another room, never in front of people, never to embarrass them, into the privacy of their bedroom or a different one, and we'd say, hey, you know, we, we set them aside, this is what we, you know, what happened, this is the discipline measure, we're going to talk a little bit about that, and then they, they'd get spanked or lost a privilege, lose a privilege or something else they'd have to do, and, uh, and then we would hug and make up, and that'd be the end of it. But for us, we, we believed it was an important part of really kind of raising our, our little ones. And I know those of you in this room that, that you're angry about that, that you've argued the fact that, well, spanking is proven to, to make kids more violent and more rebellious, you know, more, you know, what, what, whatever. If that's, if that's your argument about spanking, let me just tell you, when I was in high school, I'm 42 years old now, when I was in high school, the, the, the teacher's paddled. Anybody else get paddled in school? Awesome. Thank you. I'm not the oldest guy in the room. I thought I was, but our teachers would paddle us and usually the vice principal or the gym teacher or the band teacher. And the only reason I know is the band teacher because I got paddled by the band teacher on several occasions, but our paddle, they had the holes in it, right? So air could get through it, airflow. You know, you didn't want to slow that thing down. Didn't want any resistance. So airflow could get through that thing, and, it, and I got paddled, you know, by that. And if the argument holds water, well, you know, that paddling makes kids mean and angry and rebellious and all that kind of thing, then my generation was probably one of the last ones to paddle in school ever. And if that's true, then 20-year-olds in this room, 
that next generation should be the most compliant, peace-loving, wonderful kids ever. That ain't true, right? And so we just decided we, you know, that, that's how we were going to do it. Now, let me say this about spanking, paddling, whatever. Um, and then I'll move on. Like, never again do it in anger. Never. And if God leads you to, hey, that's how you're going to discipline, you know, in your house, whatever that looks like. There's some awesome resources online. Maybe I'll post some stuff, you know, about that. Um, Focus on the Family did a great thing on that, Chip Ingram. But um, if you have ever lashed out in anger at your little ones, you need to repent before God. You need to repent to your little ones. You need to get some help if that's a consistent thing or part of your your life because one day you're gonna have to answer to God for that. You're gonna be held accountable for for reaching out, you know, on one of his his little ones. And I would just say again, never, ever, ever do it in anger, never in anger. Quick cooperative obedience, never discipline in anger. The last one is this. The goal of discipline is always instruction and reconciliation. Instruction and reconciliation. Ephesians 6, 4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. Let's talk about instruction. The first thing that that we do with our kids um, when we're going to discipline them is make sure that they understand why and what they did. So we'll pull them aside, whether it's into the room, we'll ask them the question, all right, tell me what you did. What did you do do wrong? What was your part? Because many times, you know, they're mad at their brother, they're mad at whatever, and they don't have any fault in it. This is what they say. Well, Wade took my fidget spinner, and so I hit him in the head with it the next chance I got kind of thing. It's like, no, 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 we don't get to hit. Like, what did you do wrong? Well, Wade took it from me. He took it from me. I'm not talking about that right now. I'm asking you what you did wrong. What was your part? And you have to get them to that place where they have, can admit their fault. They can admit their, their part of it that, that they sinned, you know, as well, what their part is. And once they admit it, the second question we always ask is, all right, what could you have done different? Like next time, how could you handle this, this better? This is the instruction part. This is teaching them the principle that God always gives us a way out whenever we're tempted to do something. So instead of saying, all right, Wade, how could you, or, or Park, how could you handle that differently the next time Wade takes your fidget spinner? Which, by the way, Wade didn't take it. I took it, and I threw it in the garbage because I hate those little things. I'm just saying, just saying. How could you handle it differently? What's the way out? And so we come up with, with a solution for that. We always ask them, what did you do wrong, and what could you do different? And a lot of times, you know, that will help them make the, the right decision the next time. They find themselves, you know, fighting over something ridiculous. And then ultimately, here's where it all leads, and this is key, to reconciliation. Reconciliation. See, this is the part where you said, yeah, yeah, here's what you did wrong. Here's your your punishment. But here's what you need to understand. Park, Wade, Jake, Gray, Aiden, whatever your kids' names are, here's what you need to understand is that no matter what, you're ultimately you're forgiven. We've gotten to that part, we've, we've drawn it out, you're, you're forgiven. And what that does is that, that does the most important piece of any kind of discipline. 
it plants within their, their heart. It, it, it roots this anchor deep within them of what the cross of Christ actually means, of what Jesus did for us. And they start to, start to understand maybe instinctively at first, but maybe after a while they, they really get it that on, on an, an even deeper level that our sin at its core, it must be punished. It must be, you know, taken care of. There are consequences for our actions. We reap what we, we sow and that Jesus ultimately took our sin. He ultimately took our punishment. And once we believe that that was enough for us, then God declares us forgiven, clean, made new, justified, reconciled. And it teaches us the principle of God's divine economy that we go before him. We seek forgiveness. We admit what we did wrong and that we're forgiven. As parents, that's what you do. That's the ultimate goal of any kind of discipline. It's, it's correction by love. It's pointing them to the reason you know, why we in the first place as parents can receive grace and salvation and forgiveness. And so it's a big deal. In fact, it's a life or death deal. So that verse that I want you to come back to, Proverbs 19. When I first read this, it says, discipline your child from that. There is hope. Yeah, yeah, get that. You know, we, we, we understand the hope part. But then it says, do not be a willing party to their death. Like, honestly, the first time I read that, I thought, that's extreme. Right? I mean, that's, a, that's, that's, that's some extreme language right there. Willing party to their death unless I discipline them. And then you know what I thought about? Last summer, we took our boys on this, this RV trip and went up to like Bryce Canyon and Yellowstone and all that. And we, the first place we stopped was Bryce Canyon. And we camped out and walked around this canyon and we we're on this edge of this canyon. And we're like, all right, be careful, be careful. And so they're coming like out of the woods and going on this trail and Parker's kind of running towards this edge. And he's running towards this edge and, and we both see it coming like, Park, Stop. And you know what Park did in that moment? He stopped. I didn't have to say, Park, stop. Park, stop. No, Park, really stop. No, Park, one, two, three, you know, four, five, six, you better, better stop. Don't make me come over there and stop. In that moment, it was that discipline that he's used to. And his dad's saying, hey, 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 stop. Because it's not going to go well for you if you keep going. That he stopped. And it was a life or death kind of of moment. That's how important our discipline is. Don't be a willing party to their death. A lot of people will say, I don't want to discipline because it's mean. It's extremely mean and it's unloving if you don't. If you don't correct, if you don't point them to the grace and forgiveness that's offered from you as a parent, ultimately from God as a father. And discipline is never something we do to them. It's always for them. It's correction, you know, out of love. And we never do it angry. But always, always to love them, to instruct them, and for them to be reconciled. Let's bow our heads. Because for some of you, this might be the most important part of the morning. It's just as God places on your heart maybe the areas that that. Colby's fallen short, that you've fallen short in our parenting and the things that we could do differently. That ultimately we want to love our little ones to God, love them to God, 
but we know along the way, man, there are some boundaries, there are some parameters, there are some things that God even set, set for us that he does out of love too. In fact, he did it because he loved you so much that he didn't want to be apart from you. And maybe some of you today, you walk through these doors and you feel distant from God. You feel like you're apart from God. Well, here's what you need to know. That for God so loved you that he sent Jesus to die for you. To take care of your sin, to take care of my sin. That the moment we call on his name, that we're, we're brought into relationship with him. We're made right. And you know what? He removes that sin just like we do with our little ones, never to bring it up again. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. And he draws us close to him. And he calls us his child, his son, or his, his daughter. And there are those of you today, the decision that you need to make is to place your life in God's hands. To ask for forgiveness for, for your sin. To, just like our children, admit what we did wrong. How we can do this different. And the way we can do it differently is living in Christ, is living for Jesus. So today you'd say, Colby, that's my decision. That's my decision. I want to live for God. Be a fully devoted, fully committed follower of his. In just a moment, I want to pray with you. I want to lead you in a prayer that, that gives you the opportunity to do just that. Again, there's nothing magical about the prayer. The most important part is that you mean it in your heart that you understand that God loves you, that he would give anything for you. And when you receive that, when you receive that moment, you call on Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, empowers you and strengthens you for all that God has for you. If you'd say, Colby, when you pray that prayer, I'm gonna pray it with you. Would you raise your hand? I wanna see who I'm praying with today. If you say, Colby, count me in. You pray that prayer, come on, wherever you are, God bless you. Awesome. Awesome, pray this with me. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it in your heart. Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. I ask that you remove my sin as far as the east is from the west. From this moment on, I fix my eyes solely on you. Thank you for the cross of Christ. Thank you for the, the sacrifice for my sin. And from here on out, I'm gonna follow you. Empower me through your spirit to live for you, and to leave my sin behind. In Jesus' name, amen. We're always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevatechurch.com.